0: Good evening, 613. How are you guys doing? Uh, this afternoon, this morning, excuse me, this morning I finished up uh, teaching at our community hour for high school. And a high school student said, hey, would you give me a ride home? And I thought, absolutely, I would love to give you a ride home. Uh, and it's convenient, lives right over uh, by In-N-Out uh, in San Leandro, San Lorenzo, wherever that In-N-Out is. Um, and so, hops in the car, I'm about I'm to about, uh, drive around and hop on the freeway to go to In-N-Out and drop this kid off. And he goes, no, 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 I live in San Ramon now. I was thinking, are you kidding me? Now you tell me after you got in my car. And so we get on the freeway going the opposite direction and let my wife know, hey, lunch is going to be a little bit later. Uh, Drive out to San Ramon and on the way to San Ramon, my car just goes really weird and lights are flashing and things stop working. I'm thinking, what in the world is happening? Drop the student off. Uh, pull around. I'm just like, I I don't know what's going on here. I'm just going to turn it off and see if, you know, like with computers, you turn it off and on again, and hope everything works again. (laughs) I don't know, cars, maybe that'll work. Uh, Turn it off, and then go to turn back on. Nothing. Stank. And I had, I had budgeted my time, I think appropriately, Danny. I had, uh, I had done most of the preparation for the message earlier on in the week, and then I was just planning on hanging out at church this afternoon after lunch uh, to get the rest of it Uh, wrapped up and stage ready, I suppose, Um, but spent a couple of hours instead of sitting in my car waiting for AAA to come to figure out what in the world is going on. Uh, Really excited to change out out an alternator. Turns out your car needs one of those things to run. Who knew? Um, But as I was not studying this afternoon, uh, waiting for AAA to come, I was just, I was thinking of... One of my favorite verses, and this is for free, this is not part of the message, this is just what I was going through this afternoon, Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7, That says, "'Don't worry about anything, but in all things by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus.'" And I'm just so thankful that the God that I serve is a peace-giving God, that even on crazier-than-average afternoons, there's a peace that comes and surpasses all of our understanding. And it's in that peace we're going to hop into Matthew chapter 9 this evening. We are at the tail end of Matthew chapter 9, right as Matthew as a book transitions uh, From one narrative and teaching portion to another, in chapter 10, we're going to see Jesus in a large chunk of teaching, and then a second narrative passage. I believe there's five uh, chunks just like that through the book of Matthew. We're just going to be reading a few verses at the end of Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 35, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Dear God, in this passage, as we receive a prayer that you commanded your disciples to pray, Lord, would you be able to just sort of see what's on your heart and and why you requested your disciples to pray that prayer, Lord, and how you view the world and how, uh, how we should view the world as people who have devoted their lives to follow you? Would you help us to be people who faithfully pray for laborers to go into the harvest, Lord? Pray these things in your name, Amen. A few years ago, I read a, I read a book on D Day. Stephen Ambrose, the same guy who wrote, uh, same guy who wrote Band of Brothers, the the popular TV series and book uh, detailing uh, what happened with uh, I think it was 101st Airborne. Also wrote about D Day. Familiar picture from D Day, and it was very interesting reading about. Uh, June 6, 1944, where the Allied forces stormed the beach, beaches in Normandy and, and set up a, an area there in Europe where the Allies could continue their attack and eventually win World War II. Uh, but as Stephen Ambrose, in his detailed history of uh, D Day, who would think that you could write that much about one day of history, uh, in his detailed history about D Day, there was one line that stuck out to, stuck out to me that I still remember it, even though I read the book years ago. And it was just his overall assessment of how D-Day went in the Allied's favor. He, he, he talked a lot about the organization and the planning. He talked a little bit about the technology, all the, all the new inventions that went that went specifically designed for this day. He talked about all the things that went right, all the different special forces that were dropped behind the line. He talked about the boats that were bomb, the boats that were shooting and shelling uh, the German defenses, the planes, and just the barrage of bombs that we dropped there in Normandy. But when he looks at all of the evidence and, and has a detailed look at the Normandy day, the Normandy invasion, what Stephen Ambrose says is that the victory in Normandy was one on the back of infantry. That it was the infantry, it was the guys in the boat, who under enemy fire crawled up the beach, and and taking many casualties, made their way through the the fortifications, through the minefields, and went in and bunker by bunker, hallway by hallway, kicked out the German forces, and took Normandy for the Allied forces. That it was on the backs of infantry, that the Normandy invasion was successful. Here in this passage, what I want to be talking about tonight uh, is this. If you're taking notes, here's what I want you to write down. The kingdom harvest is going to be brought in by laborers. The kingdom harvest is going to be brought in by laborers. That as the kingdom work goes forward, as the harvest is harvested, as people are coming to Jesus, as the kingdom work is being performed, the way that that work is going to be successful, the way that that work is going to be accomplished is on the backs of laborers. Uh, A more personal way that we could phrase this is your help will bring in the harvest. Your help will bring in the harvest. As we look at our world today and we look at all that needs to be done for the cause of Christ and the many who don't know Christ and even the ones who do know Christ that need to be encouraged and strengthened their, in their relationship and we ask ourselves, how is this going to happen? How is this kingdom going to come? It's going to be your help that brings in the harvest. Uh, these last few weeks, the reason that I'm standing up here is because over these last three weeks, uh, Student Ministries has been involved in something called Fall Classic 500. It's been a little racing-themed back-to-school outreach where we've went... More than a little crazy, uh, in order to just get a ton of students uh, from the community, friends of people who ten- attend Omega, friends of people who attend 2020, which is our middle school group, uh, to come out and come to church sometimes for the first time, others for the first time in a long time. And we've had just a lot of help in order to do this. Last week it was Danny who was out preaching on Wednesday and Thursday night for our high school and for our middle school groups. And so he said, Charles, hey, why don't you go ahead and take this week? And that's what brings me up here. I just want to tell you guys a little bit about Fall Classic 500 uh, because it was a ton of fun. We made a giant race course in our gymnasium. If you've seen some hay bales, it's because we built a giant ramp, that thing's five feet tall. We bought these tricycles and we had races around the gym. And so we had 12 uh, high schoolers on high school nights, middle schoolers on middle school nights, and they were tearing around the gym. It was all like uh, kind of like a country, you know, sort of like uh, hometown USA kind of a vibe. We had a baby in a shopping cart handing out Twinkies and Ho-Hos. We had a monster truck. Uh, I forget what's the next, what the next photo is. We had a dance competition. Uh, it was great. A little just dance in the main sanctuary. People dressed out in costumes. Everybody wearing a good old trucker hat from uh, from Bass Pro Shops. Just had a ton of fun. We even got uh, Pastor Larry onto one of the uh, onto one of the tricycles, <laughs> and so we had a ton of fun. Danny was there last week, but he successfully avoided getting his uh, picture taken. We had. Over the summer, we had about 100 students who were coming consistently to Omega. As we, as we kicked off fall class, our attendance shot up between the first night is 180 and then 160 the next week because of a school function. And then I think it was 160 again on the third week. So attendance grew from around 100 to 150 these last couple of weeks, this is the group picture of everybody that was there for the high school group. There were many professions of faith. The second week, Mark Tyler preached, and he asked for people to respond in the crowd by looking at him if they, for the first time in their lives, were accepting Jesus as their Savior. And there were eight or nine students in the high school crowd that looked at Mark and made professions saying, I believe in Jesus. There was one girl who... Uh, who gave her heart to Jesus. I, I'm not sure if her name is Emma or Emily, but Emma or Emily gave her heart to Jesus. And then at the end of the night, she won a trip to Disneyland because we were giving away a trip to Disneyland. If you were new for new for that week, we had that second week, we had 12 new seniors. And if you remember back to your senior days, seniors don't go to, don't go to church. You know, they're on to the next better thing. But we had 12 visiting seniors the second week and God was doing something fantastic. But how did all of this happen? Right there. This right here is our group of middle school leaders. Uh, and, And so between the middle school leaders and the high school leaders, this is a group, I think there's 18 of them right there, who came early, stayed late. You wouldn't believe it But that hay is impossible to stack and clean. We were in there with hay fever the next morning, waking up with headaches, thinking, oh, what in the world is going on? And I say, I show you those pictures, I tell you about Fall Classic, just to illustrate the point. If there is going to be a harvest, if we are going to be able to tell students about Jesus, if we're going to be able to do something that we are able to point and say, see what God did, did there, how that is going to happen is with many hands bringing in the harvest. That it's your hands, it's my hands, that are going to bring in the harvest. The harvest is going to be brought in because of laborers. As we hop into this passage and we look at how Jesus develops this lesson, bring our attention back to verse number 35. In verse 35, it tells us that Jesus went through all the towns and villages... Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. I love the attention that Matthew gives when he says, and, it, and he gives us a glimpse into the extent of Jesus' care for others. Jesus went into all cities and villages, Jesus' care was universal. Jesus at this period of time was probably still in the Galilean area in in the northern northern Jewish region. And so he was up in Galilee, but he wasn't just simply staying in his home base of Capernaum. Instead of just staying in one place, Matthew here makes a point that he goes into all of the cities and all of the villages. When we examine Jesus' ministry as a whole, we see that Jesus was going to every location that he could in order to share the message that he was here. He would came and not only did he go, uh, not only did he go to the northern area in Galilee, but he would also go to Jerusalem, the head of the religious political, uh, cultural establishment of the Jewish nation. But he wasn't only going to Jerusalem, he also took a detour into Samaria. Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. They were the ones who were left behind when Jew- when the Jewish people went into captivity. And there was a lot of animosity between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. But Jesus made it a point to go to the Samaritans. Jesus went to the Decapolis, the ten cities where it was a Roman garrison uh, that was placed there. Rome Roman soldiers, and Jesus had ministry in the Decapolis, and what we see when we look at Jesus' ministry was that Jesus was in all of the cities and all of the villages, that Jesus' concern was universal. I don't know about you, but because of the, uh, because I get busy, and because Uh, Once I get busy, it seems like everything that God teaches me just goes out the door and I I just start worrying about my problems and my concerns and what what, what I need to take care of, my responsibilities. I need to be reminded of John 3.16, that God so loved the world, all of them. The 7.3 billion people that make up humanity today, God cares for the world. And it's not just the world that we're familiar with. It's not just the evangelical world that that we would consider ourselves a part of. But God cares for the 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. God loves the thousands of unreached people groups that don't have a consistent representation of the gospel message. That God loves the world. That God loves the people in your workplace, in your high school in your college classrooms, that God loves the people in your family, even that person. That God loves the world. In this passage, it shows us that Jesus went into all of the cities and all of the villages, and his love for the world brought them brought Jesus uh, to action. This morning, as Larry was teaching through this passage, his first point well, was, was that Jesus was a man of movement. That it was, it was a movement that was part of Jesus' ministry. That he didn't simply have a burden for the world, but that his burden led him to do something about it. Here in this passage, we see that Jesus went throughout all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of The kingdom. In every town and in every synagogue, the first thing that we see Jesus doing is preaching the good news of the kingdom. In our day, uh, I think we're further removed from Jesus' initial audience that would have more clearly understood what the gospel declaration was. In that day, when there was a change of political, uh, when there was a change of a political ruler, when there was a new power instated, there would be messengers sent throughout the kingdom, and these messengers would proclaim the gospel, that a new ruler was in place, and because of this new ruler, everything was going to be different and that message that heralding that everything has changed was a gospel message jesus hijacked this term and and he used it for his own purposes and he said indeed a new ruler has come and to anyone who would submit to jesus authority the kingdom was come then and there and everything was going to be different everything was going to be better in every village in every town Jesus went through preaching the good news of the kingdom. First and foremost, as a Christian community, our greatest responsibility to the world is to preach the good news of the kingdom. That's not to belittle the different problems and the different struggles that are going on in the world, but primarily what we see Jesus doing and what our responsibility is, is to be a bearer of the good news, to proclaim the gospel. When Jesus left his disciples, he told them to go make disciples of all nations. In Mark, he told them to go preach the gospel to every creature. Our first and foremost responsibility, as we see with Jesus in this passage, is the preaching of the good news of the kingdom. Not only was Jesus preaching the good news of the kingdom, but I also love this. Jesus went throughout the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues and healing every disease and sickness. Every disease and every sickness. That Jesus wasn't simply bringing healing to what we need healing the most, which is our hearts, our separation from God, at the deep level of brokenness that alienates us from God and alienates us from each other. That Jesus first and foremost came to bring healing through the king, through the gospel message of the kingdom of God to our hearts, but He was also healing every sickness and disease. Sometimes I think we read those that story and we think that the healing that Jesus, the healing that Jesus brought, was for then. That that this sign gift was a sign that 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 Jesus used then, and God no longer heals. But our God is still a God. That first and foremost heals our heart. That anyone who believes in him, that, that he will give them second life. He will give them a rebirth. And he will fix our alienation from God and our alienation from e- with each other. But more than that, there's also a physical healing. That our God is still a physical healer. That our God is still a God of miracles. As I was preparing for this, uh, uh, a dear friend came to mind. Uh, who's going through some health difficulties. And instead of me sharing her story, I'm going to go ahead and bring up Erin Seth. Hi. Is it Hello. I'll just, oh, hi. Hi.
1: (laughs) My name is Erin. I'm 25. And about two and a half weeks ago, my doctor found a very large cyst in my left breast. And uh, for those of you who know anything about breast cancer um, that is very rare for a woman under the age of 40. So my doctor was concerned, and as was I. And uh, he very quickly sent me into ultrasound. And in the ultrasound, they found two more. (laughs) Not quite a good sign. They ended up doing a bunch of biopsies and took a lot of samples, a really painful process And as they were in the ultrasound room and doing that, and as the woman, my sonographer, was finding pictures on this screen, she said, I think we found another, and that was the third. And I said, oh, God, out loud. And she said, do you know God? I said, yes, I do. Um, It was really amazing. And this woman and I, as we're sitting there, (laughs) finding these different cysts in in my chest, we're starting to talk about the Savior. And I think God, more than anything, Really knew I needed a friend in that room. (laughs) Um, The biopsy, um, after the biopsies were done, based on my age and the number of them and the location of them, the doctors had given me about an 80-20, 80% cancer carcinoma, 20% chance of them being benign, which means non-cancerous. After biopsy was done, it was a really long weekend. I'm sure you know that when you're waiting to hear news, (laughs) the waiting is the worst part. And um, during that time, I spent a lot of time praying with my family, had a lot of people praying for me. But at the same time, having a very logical conversation that there is a chance and a strong chance that I would have breast cancer at 25. In fact, my dad, who is a very lovely man, even said, if it comes to a baby, I'll shave your head. (laughs) So we spent a lot of time praying, and I would be very coy (laughs) if I was to say that I was not terrified, And um, Monday came, and I got a phone call from the radiologist. And I answered the phone, and I said, hi, this is Aaron. And just my heart is beating so, so fast. And over the phone, he said to me, "Um, either you're the luckiest person in the world, or somebody's looking out for you. And I had a chance to tell him on the phone that that person is God, and that there were tons of people who were praying for me. And after that fact, talking to another doctor who got the radiologist's notes, said that in his notes he had said 90% probability of cancer carcinoma after biopsy. And now, on Tuesday, I had surgery and had all three of them removed. And uh, I'm at 100% clean bill of health, (laughs) which is totally awesome. (laughs) With that said, God is a very real force in our lives. It's not something that is untouchable. It's not something that is far away, even in a very medical sense. Even the intelligence and the knowledge he's given those who are in that field, that me- medicine is so advanced that they can know these things so quickly and so soon. And um, I don't know if you want me to share this. Uh, I had been teaching the past couple of years at a school, a private Christian school, and they have a large proponent of international students, kids who are from China, from Japan, from Taiwan. And um, I taught Bible to them. And a lot of these students really did not know who God was or have any understanding of him. And I was consistently telling them I wanted them to see my Jesus. Now, I haven't been teaching for about a year and a half. I haven't seen these kids in a long time. And after finding out I was cancer free, I had put on Instagram that, that God had completely healed me, 100%. That there was no way, even the doctors were shocked. And a student sent me a message that just said, um, At school, they had been saying we should be praying for you. And this is the first time I have ever prayed and wanted God to be real to me. In your class, you said you wanted us to know your Jesus. And I am certain that that is the person who healed you. <laughs> So God is moving, <laughs> and I am 100% cancer-free, and that is all to the glory of God.
0: Our God is a healer. First and foremost... He heals our broken relationship with God. That is our greatest need. But we sell our God short when we don't, when we don't allow the possibility that He can heal us. Through medicine, yes. Through, through different uh, options that are available for treatment, yes. Through a miraculous healing, even when the doctors didn't expect it, absolutely yes. Because our God is a powerful God. Jesus comes and he's in every village and he's in every he's in every village he's in every town and he's preaching the gospel and from what we've seen in in the sermon on the mount Jesus is a skillful preacher he's not only preaching he's healing every sickness and every disease and yet That he's in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Healing every disease and sickness. And yet, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they they, they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Even though... Jesus himself was preaching the gospel message. And I would have liked to have been there hearing how Jesus expounds on the kingdom of God, how he expands on his, expounds on his kingdom. And he's there verifying his words by healing every sickness and every disease. And yet when he looks up, he, he, he's not thinking like, well done, well done me. He's not thinking, man, uh, one more town where I've proclaimed the good news. When he looks up and he sees the crowd his heart wells up with compassion because the people are harassed. They're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. The word for, the word that is used there for compassion, uh, one commentator says that it would be a fair translation to say a gut level just yearning in his heart, just a just like a painful compassion where you feel it in your bodies. That when Jesus looked at the crowds, he was thinking, <sighs> looking around at the pain that he saw, he was thinking, man, there's so much more that I want to do for you. There was one time when I think I may have felt what Jesus felt here. I was sitting in my office, it was a Wednesday night about to go on stage and about to teach for the high school group when I get a phone call from a student who won't be able to make it. And she said, hey, Charles, I don't think that I'm going to be coming to Omega any longer. Uh, I'm pregnant. And I think I'm going to get an abortion. And, and I'm trying to persuade her. No, there, there, there's, there's other options. There's other things that you can do. No, don't do it. Uh, let me let me talk you through this. Have you Have you... Have you talked to this organization? Have you talked to this person? Have you examined all of the options? Is there any way that we could further be of help to you? And no, I was just calling to tell you, uh, and I will see you later. From my office, I remember walking into Ryan's office, just across the way, and just feeling it in my gut, just, ugh both for this high school student who was about to go through an incredibly difficult situation and also for the child that wasn't going to get a chance to even choose for itself whether or not it got a shot at life. And I was just thinking, I, I felt it. Jesus in this passage, it says that he was moved to compassion. That when he saw the crowds, there was just this, this pain, this... Mm. Jesus in Isaiah 53, which Danny read er earlier, it tells us that, Isaiah tells us about Jesus that he was a man of sorrows, a man acquainted with grief. That frequently our church services are a time of celebration and they should be a celebration because our God is good and our God is a healer. But to fully be a follower of Jesus, we must also feel this aspect of what Jesus feels where he feels a compassion for the world, for the lost, because they they are harassed, they are helpless, they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are lost. Jesus looks at the crowd and he just has a compassion on them. And here's his solution. With that compassion, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think when Jesus looks down on our world, even today, I don't think that his compassion has changed. I don't think that his His yearning for his people uh, to be... Not, sh- not sheep that are, that are lost, that are without shepherds, but to be gathered into his fold where he would be the great shepherd. I don't think that that desire is lost as God looks down on us today. And I think his solution for that gut-level yearning for his people to be gathered in to the good shepherd. The solution that Jesus mentions 2,000 years ago is the same solution today. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his field because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Can you imagine what our world, what, what a difference could be made for the kingdom of God if there were no more spectators, if there were no, peop- no more people standing on the sidelines claiming to be followers of Christ, looking on the sidelines and saying, hey, look at the harvesters that are going on. Look at the other people that are involved in kingdom work. Look at the other people that are involved in ministry. Look at the other people that are sharing the gospel. Look at the other people that are proclaiming the good news. Could you imagine what What a difference Christians could make in the world if every person would realize that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and would commit ourselves to what Jesus asks for. It's interesting, immediately what Jesus asks for isn't the laborers themselves, He doesn't want us to jump in. He doesn't want to just lay on a duty without the desire that undergirds that duty. He wants to prepare the hearts of his followers. He wants his disciples to understand why they are about to do what they are going to do. Are they going to be sent into the harvest field? Yes, but are they going to be sent into the harvest field simply because they are being obedient to their master? No, they are going to be sent into the harvest field because they feel the same desire that the master has, that they are modeling Jesus' compassion for the world, that in the same way Jesus' soul aches as he looks over the lost sheep of Israel and as he looks over and sees the lost in the world, in the same way that Jesus feels compassion. He wants his disciples to feel compassion and to have that yearning and and to have a natural request, pleading and praying, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. So tonight what we're going to do is simple. We're going to pray. We're going to be obedient right here, right now, to what Jesus asks of us. Jesus asks of us to pray for laborers to go into the harvest. He's wanting to gather all of his own to himself. He wants to bring the lost to the good shepherd. And he asks us to pray. After we pray, we have a symbol here of the Lord's broken body and his shed blood. There's enough bread up here, and there's enough, there's enough grape juice uh, for us to share as a body. But what gets me excited is that the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ is enough for us here, it's enough for our community, it's enough for our nation, and it's enough for the nations around the world. The harvest truly is plentiful, and God's grace is sufficient, that, that there is enough salvation to go around, that not one person needs to be lost, needs to be alienated from God, needs to, to, to feel the distance and to go unforgiven for their sins that the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ is enough. The problem is laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest.